Anyway, Aegon, Texas this week. And with that, here's the story of how we lost power for a week in reportedly the worst week of weather, which one weatherman listed as five storms in seven days. Historically, the worst week weather it has ever had. Welcome back to 1800's House edition of Spoken Word with Electronics. Power in Austin is back on today. And that's evidenced by me recording right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, don't have a battery power for everything. Although I'll say at the end tonight, batteries sort of owned owned the, uh, the week. Thank you for batteries. And many of them were alkaline. When, uh, here's my advertisement for batteries. When you need something that requires batteries and it's an emergency, you'll be happy that you have batteries and you'll regret being silly and uh, making a rant about batteries being bombs, even though they are in a previous episode. But man, batteries saved our ass this week. And uh, we went through the lithiums that we had a little quicker than we meant to. And we had to go on alkaline for a lot of stuff. And so thank you, batteries. <laughs> So power is back in town, but presently, most of the city of Austin, Texas, where this show is recorded, is now without running water. That's the 1800s edition of Spoken Word with Electronics. We right now have no water. Well, we actually personally do have a lot of water, or we have enough. It feels Enough feels like a lot because there's so little going around right now, but we have two cases of uh, bottled water that we got many months ago for another reason and had forgotten about. And as I'll say, uh, we have a lot of snow and other kinds of things. I'll talk to you about our water uh, issue, but we're good. We're hydrated. We're, we're fine, thankfully. And it feels, feels like fortune. So, But most of the people in the city right now where the show is recorded are without running water. Most of my neighbors don't have don't have water, and um, if you have any water, in the 1800s edition of Spoken Word of Electronics, it might come from snow that you've melted from the backyard or collected through a dripping faucet on low pressure. That might be the water source you have now in the 1800s edition of Spoken Word of Electronics, and you're going to need to boil that water to consume any of it. <laughs> That, uh, that melted snow or that tap water. So it's in the 1800s edition of Spoken Word of Electronics that we in fact encounter real advice from neighbors that we see outside holding metal pails of murky fluid and pointing to a water retention pond down the road, suggesting buckets be used for catching snow runoff. In the 1800s edition of this show, you see your neighbors holding their buckets up like their Huckleberry Finn and raising the yield high into the air and it being murky brown. (laughs) Mud water. (laughs) I found mud water. We will survive. That is exactly what was happening in our town this week. Austin is a weird place and they go for buckets and hold up their mud water and tell you where they got it. The dirt and leaves, they tell you, can be filtered away with a coffee filter or cheesecloth. And you watch your neighbor skip down the road back to his home, telling another neighbor or two about his two buckets of mud water. And you hope that it will likely end up in their toilet 
and not their stomach. We are told by the animal noises in the wind to do this water collection before nightfall, as the sound of these wild animals, specifically wild boar and coyote, possibly working as a team, are audible already. They are howling and snarling, and they're surely hungry. So we drop our bucket into the mud water, and we quickly fill it up. If you asked me at the beginning of the week if I thought I'd be filling up the backside of my toilets with snow to provide enough melted water for a functioning flush, I might dismiss it as nonsense. And regarding that trick, you might be curious how much snow it takes to fill up a toilet. The ratio of snow to melted water is roughly five to one. So I found that a full cardboard box of heavily packed snow is the answer to how much snow does it take to fill up a toilet. So a full cardboard box of heavily packed snow, when melted, will yield a single flushable tank. So about five to one. An insane amount of water for each flush, too. I've always been aware of this and felt some sort, you know, some desire to get a low flushing toilet. But, and we haven't been flushing a lot too because of this concern. I don't want you to think about our toilets. Stop, get, get our toilets out of your mind. <laughs> That's dirty water thinking. That's dirty thinking. Stop thinking about my toilet, please. I just want to talk about an anonymous toilet. That anonymous toilet, I'm not talking about my own, has not been flushed a lot. We're only flushing for dumps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's been as little as we've been flushing. Not many. I thought I would stipulate that so you don't think like when somebody talks about like having to uh, use a lot of snow to fill up their toilet. But the point is, you're going to deplete a bathtub quicker than you realize with flushing the toilet. A full bathtub is about maybe like five or ten flushes based on my toilet math. This, uh, this week. It's crazy how much water you have to pour into a toilet just to get it up to that fill line. It's crazy. I would call the amount of water to fill a toilet to be roughly half a human leg of water each time. If you have a leg sitting around, hollow out half of it and fill it with water. And you'll find that's about as much water as you'll need to flush each time. We don't have a leg to spare around here, so it's been plastic cups. About seven or so plastic cupfuls every time, full. Anyway, that's where we are now. I've dumped all the snow in our backyard into a bathtub. My wife, in her foresight, filled up one of the bathtubs already with water, uh, actually right before the water went out. And uh, that's to her credit, thank you for that. So we only had to fill up one tub and I filled up the second tub of snow as the second backup. We have two humble tubs, nothing wealthy, but still a luxury, this two tub allotment. And that makes us feel fortunate. Water is the new currency in modern day 1800s Austin. <laughs> and a bathtub full of this stuff is like a gigantic wallet and it's far better than a bag for holding all that water. You can hold about a bathtub full of water in a garbage bag. That'd be really funny to set up. One of those big ones. <laughs> it's just bursting with water, you're rich. 
Future homes will look at tubs in Texas as snow holders. And they'll remark, that looks like a good-sized tub to flush a lot of toilets with. And so, our toilets now flush with the snow of the backyard grass. So I'm thankful for our gas stove this week, which has provided a burner for us to cook food. I feel terrible for anyone with an electric stove in particular, or someone who uh, only has a microwave and didn't have any means of making food warm this week. And uh, this week also provided an evaluation of technology for me. <laughs> that gets worse the more it tries to improve itself. I uh, nominate an oven for that. An oven does what it should do, and the best ovens, uh, based on this week, is one that is just dial-based with no display or any kind of computer or anything. Ours had just like a dumb computer in it. It just has a clock and some buttons and things and so, sort of like a sensor that beeps off. But because of that, it's a digital oven. You know, um, I found myself thinking about ovens like I think about synthesizers and craving an analog one because the uh, the oven had a button for bake and a dial for temperature. And this made it completely useless without electricity. And I would have enjoyed an older stove with dials on it. That's it. Just and I'm glad that our skillet or the range, it had the same kind of integrated electrical lighting system mechanism, but each dial still worked though. When you turned the dial, it released gas and so it could be ignited by a match. Makes our stove dumber than our oven, according to a computer person, but I would say that one allowed us to survive and the other needed electricity to be a gas oven. Dumb stove, not a smart one. And so, uh, or dumb oven, sorry. But making the gas oven dependent on electricity to run shows worse design is an example like that Texas could learn about. Like sometimes worse design causes bigger problems. So here's the narrative on what happened. It's kind of fun. To begin the narrative on how uh, our bad week started, I should say that last weekend before everything that happened on Monday really, forward or late Sunday night, the days before that were absolute heaven regarding this weather. We had a cold front come in over Friday or Saturday, and I can't remember the exact time the snow started, but when it did, it was exciting, and words like cozy come into your mind. This was so cozy. Snow globe cozy. Hallmark Channel cozy. And we had heard about the polar vortex from the weather people. All the weather people were talking about the polar vortex for well over a week think about being a winterizing uh, utility knowing this is coming uh, a polar vortex we were told was a piece of the North Pole its actual climate or its actual jet stream or whatever but the air up in the North Pole cr broke off and just traveled down into Texas went through other parts of the country while it was coming to us and of course other cities got even colder than us and survived it but they are not self-regulating like Texas but the idea of North, the North Pole breaking off and traveling is a pretty exciting concept, even though it is proof of the climate changing, <laughs> the fact that it's able to do this, and that the climate is certainly becoming more destructive and unpredictable. This should be a priority for everybody and not a battle 
A lot of people, I'm sure, are delighted this happened to Texas just because this is, you know, this was exactly what people are trying to prevent from happening. And so if you are a heavy opponent to that idea and actually bend your laws to bring other, you know, bad energy producing companies into your state and then this happens because you don't, that can be satisfying, right? It's like Darth Vader getting hit by a, uh, by his own lightsaber. <laughs> My wife and I took, uh, took it seriously as individuals, and we considered what we needed before it showed up. We, so we'd have a, power, a conversation about the power possibly going out, and the conversation was simple. Do we have enough rice and pasta and oatmeal would be what we would talk about. We had the cases of bottled water. I told you about two of them. And literally food and water was all we thought about. If the power went out, we had enough food all would be good, let's just enjoy the cold front. But we didn't expect the power to go out. We just, but we had that conversation. Now, after the fact, I would add, do we have enough blankets? Do we have enough batteries? Do we have a weather radio? Do we have good shovels? Not the gardening shovels, but some snow shovels. Can we get some salt and some sand to put over the ice? Stuff like that. No, our conversation really stopped at noodles. It, it would probably go out for a couple hours, what we thought, if anything, go back on. And knowing that we didn't need to go anywhere allowed the snow when the storm arrived to begin to sort of fall blissfully on our home. It felt so nice. I mean, it was real accumulation too. Denver stuff, Chicago stuff. Real freaking good magical powder snow. It stopped quick. We, uh, we got a little over a foot in our backyard, but it came down with like blizzard speed. And so by Sunday evening of last week, the mood around our house was like a greeting card. Some nice music was on. My wife was reading on the couch. I love that. We had a really, we had a really great dinner, and I was upstairs finishing last week's show, which I just put as a marker, not like a throwback callback. But it was as cozy as it gets. Just weird, like radiator happiness. My cat is talking about it again. She, she's like, yeah, it was a really happy moment. <laughs> she's saying. <laughs> Yeah, she's singing right now. It's funny. I'm talking and she's singing because we're getting back to normal, which is kind of nice. But it was a kind of happiness that is like yellow, amber light when you look back at it because it's like that now when I'm looking back to that night right before the power went out. Barely a week old into my mind, it's already this perfect memory. It was that peak, great, happy moment. It was just a really happy experience. And the promise of more days like it over the next week was even more pleasing or, you know, happy inducing. And it's been kind of a fucking tough year, you know, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, for everybody. And this was just sort of restorative. And during the time, the news would have some conversations about conservation for our power usage and but there but that would come from the news and there was no official statement that I can recall but we were doing our part to sort of conserve we don't really use a lot of power most nights anyway and uh, heat is not really one of those okay let's crank the heat we're not like that so I think we were all already accidentally conserving compared to what I think was some of the behavior with heat and other things from other people because Texans freak out about the cold and uh, they over, I, they can get excessive with using uh, the HVAC. 
or if they are told to conserve, very often they'll be, they consider other people will be conserving, so I don't need to. That's usually a Texas reaction to something like this. On the night that the power went out, it did drop down to seven degrees, seven real degrees, or zero degrees Fahrenheit with the wind chill. And I happen to know the exact moment the power went out for then 36 hours at our house. It was exactly at 2 a.m. And we know the exact moment the power went out because we were in such a high-spirited mood at that moment and had already turned off all the lights just to watch the snow. And we were sitting in one of our rooms in the bedroom and we were near a window and talking about how this was like kind of like a ski resort. It felt like snow powder that was everywhere. And when you don't travel for a year, you know, whatever feels like travel is exciting. So it was kind of fun to sort of be in our mind and be like, well, we are at a ski resort. We are at a ski resort. That felt great. Just that trip in our mind. And at 2 a.m. exactly, my wife, said, it's so pretty outside, let's go for a walk. And I had moved away from the window for a moment and I was watching Netflix at the time and it was streaming off of the Wi-Fi. And I go, okay, so she goes to, she moves to turn on the light in the room, in the bedroom. And when she clicked on the light, nothing turned on except for a weird trick of suddenly turning off the stream on my Netflix. It was that syncopated. She turned the light on and the whole city went out around us. <laughs> Did the power just go out? We both asked one another and we saw that nothing in the house then was on in our dark room. And especially nothing was making a sound. There was no sound of the heater and that's a very complete silence when a heater stops, not just stops running, but just stops, you know. So we look outside and all the streetlights in the homes are off as well. And we think, oh, here's the rolling blackout. How considerate that it's at 2 a.m. It'll probably be just a few hours. But it still was a little worrying. So we didn't go outside. My uh, wife was concerned that we wouldn't be able to uh, warm up after the walk and she was probably right. And so we instead layered up and went to bed. And then we woke up at 8 a.m. frozen it had fallen to seven degrees Fahrenheit outside, as I said, and it's very clear the rolling blackout did not continue to roll onto somebody else because 8 a.m. we wake up, the power's still out. And for a while, we'd hear about other parts of the city that hadn't been blacked out at all, and we resented the inequity of that. But as the news became more clear, we'd learned that the rollout never rolled beyond our neighborhood. So it basically rolled into a bunch of different neighborhoods and then stopped because it had nowhere else to roll. Uh, the first blackout for us would last 36 hours, and that would be the longest blackout that we had to endure during the worst of the weather. And I found kind of quickly that certain things just like start not working in really cold weather, uh, either in the, in the house with no heat or outside, all battery powered devices would have really incorrect percentage readouts on how much uh, was left in the battery and other things wouldn't work and the only battery devices that really were sturdy for us during the week were the laptops and we managed to recharge the phones with the laptops 
And I kind of learned quickly, obvious one, to just keep my phone in my pocket, especially while I was sleeping, to keep it warm. That uh, regulated the battery life a lot more logically, but battery life would become this weird kind of odd currency, like I don't want to spend any of it, as uh, we weren't sure how long this would go on. I knew that I had a laptop that had enough battery to continue uh, charging the, uh, the phone, but that was like another money currency. There was like battery, cell phone battery money, and then there was also laptop money. I didn't want to spend a lot of laptop money, battery life, to uh, keep the bat. You know, it was just a weird negotiation managing that. And that was, you know, vital. That was our communication network. I mean, cell phones and internet were on the phone. Other than that, we just had a radio. We discussed the possible use of the car's battery for charging, not wanting to uh, turn the car over. It was in a garage. So we'd get carbon monoxide poisoning if we did that, but we could turn the battery over and still charge phones from the car. But we didn't want the car to completely lose its battery and have us become stranded. And the real cold weather compromised the battery in the car too. You know, sometimes you can lose a car's battery just from one good cold snap. And so we didn't ever really connect the phone to the car's battery. But we got through it, it was fine. It was uh, just sort of, again, much worse happens than many other circumstances, but it was stressful. Uh, not knowing when it's gonna end is stressful. That's something different than maybe, than maybe, I don't know, like a quick event, like a tornado or a fire or something like that. Like weather sometimes, is the same way, but this wasn't weather-based. You couldn't look at a weather map. You had to figure out what, if it's been 30 hours, is it gonna be 80 I, or 50? I had a friend who actually was without power for over 80 hours this week. And that's because not only was were, was their house connected to the grid, something else fell on their over, overhead power lines. And it just took that long for the city of Austin to be able to repair it, but that's a repair. That still would have unfortunately happened to them if the grid was working. So it makes it a different conversation. That's like an infrastructure one. You know, can they bury the uh, those power lines? Probably not, so they can address it. But what happened with most of the city losing its power had nothing to do with a tree falling on it or uh, with a windmill as Abbott tried to blame it on being, <laughs> fuck him. And I have been cold. I have been cold before. Um, I am less comfortable in the heat. Just as a person, I prefer cold weather. And uh, I've been in a lot of cold weather. And at the same time, this cold was incomprehensible for some weird reason. And our bodies started to shut down around the house. We just slept for hours, my wife and I. She was more stressed than me, but we were both stressed about the faucets. You know, we didn't want the the, uh, the pipes to freeze, you know. So we did a lot of precautionary dripping of everything, you know, to like, you try, you want to get a, like a drip that just goes about like uh, maybe half a second. That, that slow drip and that'll most likely help faucets from freezing because it didn't freeze even when the heat turned off in our house. So it was probably about 40 degrees in the house, but that's very different than 40 degrees outside. It's hard to explain, especially with no sound or lights or anything, just the silence and the cold just freezes you into no mobility whatsoever. And that was Sunday through Monday. 
after 36 hours, as I mentioned, the power for the first time came back on. We had no idea if it would go back off or when, you know, everybody's story with this is different. I know some friends who had it for like 20 minutes. I know some people, you know, get a couple hours. So talk about money. You've been spending this, uh, this phone money and this laptop energy money just to sort of like cling to a little communication on the phone or something, but not in a way that you could look at it a lot. And then all of a sudden you get full electricity and the heat is coming back on. And you don't know if you're going to get it for an hour. You don't know whatever. So our lottery win was it lasted an intensely pleasurable seven hours. We had heat and uh, food and sound and electricity from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m., providing reanimating heat and other sanity for seven hours. And it was an intense joy. And just as we had uh, been awake when the power went off, we heard the click of the house turn back on exactly at 11 a.m., which had been 36 hours, and woke up immediately. We charged everything. We cooked, we warmed up, took a shower. Oh my God, and just felt beyond happy. And uh, we tried moving forward to be as conserving with power as possible once the laptops and phones were charged. And then we'd turn them off still and shut off all unneeded power still, you know. Kept the TV on and just waited out of uh, the next, out the next eventual power outage. You know, I, mean, I would use the laptop just a little bit. I'd dip in, get a little internet, something. Just a little bit, then dip out. TV was pretty good with all the news agencies insisting that this is what was going on everywhere and to tell you that what was happening was going to continue happening, that the power would be going out, that the worst was far from over, <laughs> that nothing could be scheduled. And then we would have Greg Abbott on the TV doing in no way a, I just want everyone to know that this is kind of my fault and I feel kind of shitty about it. Or this is my, I'm taking responsibility for this, he could have said. I mentioned this to my wife and she said, some people say that you're a bad leader if you apologize. My wife is really cool at offering contrary arguments or things for me to like be challenged by. I really, I really love her. And we've been like a survival team this fucking year, man. She would hate me talking about her on the show. She's a very private person. I adore her so much. So I apologize, but I'm gonna keep it just because I like telling people about my wife, but I'll, I'll do it discreetly. So anyway, I love how she just challenges me in these you know, contrary ways. Well, you know, a lot of people and very, very obviously inferred the kind of people that would vote for Abbott would see that as a sign of leadership that he doesn't apologize. And just makes me think about the different kinds of people but uh, I think a lot of people this, uh, this past year have, if you're fortunate, and I guess I'm appreciating that I am fortunate, I've had an opportunity to survive with somebody, which is a wild thing to think about because I've had just, she and I have survived through this year, you know? We've made decisions together and sacrifices and everybody has, a lot of people have the same opportunity with somebody in their life, I'm guessing. 
So this past week was just another opportunity to survive with her through something and not to, not in like a ego based way. We are surviving, you know, not in like an escape room kind of way, just a conscious understanding that you are surviving with this person. And that was, and by this point, about a year in, we're a pretty good team. So that was good. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll each allow the other person to get really pissed off about something for a minute, not them. Like we have a rule, don't get pissed off at the other person, but kind of you can snap to one another. You know, especially when we're stressed out about this. So yeah, she's my survival partner. I wanted to just say that. That's pretty great. May you all have one. Because that's just like a part in your, of your relationship that is new. It's a new thing for you to experience too, which is super cool. There's all sorts of exciting moments in a relationship. And this past year in a way has been one of those moments where we get to talk about this year or this two year period, however long this is gonna take. And it will include both the pandemic, the weird kind of panic, new panic, how do we handle, you know, in March of last year. And now we have been just sort of like on pandemic for that time. And now we have this power outage as this experience. That was kind of cool. I think we took to it a lot more nimble. I was really pleased with uh, team survival over here. When the power snapped off again at 6 p.m. after uh, returning at 11 a.m. that day. So it was on for seven hours. We had one more night with no warmth, but it was warm outside. It was in the uh, 20s instead of single digits, and so we slept okay. We woke up less cold. And uh, I was able to get out of bed on the second day. I was more mobile. And while we're getting to the reality of this, okay, we might not have power, but it's not as cold as it was yesterday. We're good. Then we got a, uh, sec a next psychological blow that, that gas might be possibly shut off state or citywide to uh, deal with this broken problem. And gas, damn, you know, I mean, from a personal safety matter, this became suddenly much more stressful because gas was the only thing that had not really shut off power. We still had water. So actually, I'm wrong about that. At, at this point, only electric had been shut off. But if we lost like, gas, I couldn't cook. And worse, a technician would likely have to visit the home to reconnect us if they shut off the gas to your, uh, to your residence. And a technician would have to visit every home in the city separately. Just like the city just suddenly became occupied by people and they all got their gas turned on. And so millions of these scheduled visits to reinstate gas service one by one, you know? And so as long as the gas would stay on, I thought to myself, everything will be cool. And I, for some reason, just thought that that was like, you know, you sort of have these stages, you know? And I was just like, well, if that happens, then, then we can address it. But as, but as long as that doesn't happen, we are good at that moment. And the gas never did have to get turned off, so that was great. The, uh, so the gas stayed stable, thankfully. But the power went off again, and we were then back to darkness after 6 p.m. So we got a day, humorously, we would get a day with uh, light, <laughs> electronic bulb, but a night with darkness. So it's like, it's almost like the, uh, the electricity went off with the sun at a point that it could probably be useful. But the second blackout was more tolerable. One, it was less surprising. Two, we had uh, had the power come back on, so we knew that that was something that could happen. You know, uh, with the way the power grid was being managed, we didn't know when it first went out and it didn't come back on at eight, if it was broken. So 
The second power outage was a lot better, and we woke up the next day and it was familiar at that point too. So very much uh, less stressful. It was cold as hell, but we got through it enough that we were able to start moving around the house and getting some things finished in the daylight. Came a little bit more active or participatory or whatever you want to call it with living. And when the heat restored, uh, we started to hear of neighbors losing water pressure everywhere. And there were uh, sounds of confused birds outside and terrible, even more confused drivers who were plowing through the snow outside, spinning their wheels or pushing too abruptly on a hill. So, but the sounds of the confused birds was kind of heartbreaking. People have been posting uh, a bunch of birds who were just so fucking confused with this weather. And that just breaks your heart. It's like a Disney movie out there, the sounds of confused birds. Although I understand that chickens are completely okay in the cold weather. I heard that from a friend uh, recently. So I wonder how cold a bird gets. I hope not. It's probably cold in the sky always, you know? I know they go south uh, for warmth, but maybe as a survival, a bird is okay. But the sounds of confused birds outside was peculiar, to say the least. Day three at 3 p.m. After going out at 6 p.m. the night before, at 3 p.m. the power clicked back on. And it has now been that way since Wednesday. So the longest we went without power is 36 hours and then small units of time after that. And we had an entire Thursday with power too. It's Friday as I'm recording this first piece and I owe you a, a good bit of Bruce Hack stuff as the follow-up. So I'm trying to get this all taken care of Friday night. Gonna have to work on it Saturday and then I'll uh, just uh, cram to get Bruce Hack done and Charlie Pickle done in the next few bits. That's sort of the schedule I have on the show. Also to my wife's thank you if she lets me work on the show during the weekend. I mean, I become, I need to get it done. So she's, she knows that this thing is keeping me alive. So she's just been a really great friend and I wanted to know that. I appreciate that. I think I've been a good friend to her too. I think we've been taking, we've been survival friends. We've been taking care of one another. My survival lover. <laughs> How's that for a creepy line? Prior to it coming back on that first time, I would say the worst part of a power outage is the uncertainty of it. And then when you go into a couple days of it rolling back and forth and you have other uncertainty of how long am I going to be on this uh, kind of roller coaster with it. You don't know whether or not you can move forward really with anything. It's a, I, I, it's strange. It must be some sort of relationship we have with electronics because I'm confused by being in similarly cold scenarios that I've had before, but just with power, it was just as cold. <clears throat> but we had light or something, or sometimes we wouldn't be able to uh, be living with some artist friends and we wouldn't have enough money to cover electricity during the winter. And so we would have very little light, you know, candlelight or something. But I did a lot of work in those rooms. It, it's weird how, you know, just, ground to a halt we were from it. There's some funny moments to consider if you think about electricity sort of like a drought and you're thirsty. There, I remember in my coldest moments, there was a car, you know, inside our garage with a full tank of gas, which makes it a generator. <laughs> and uh, I kept on thinking we could go to the 
we could go to the car and turn it on for heat. And I don't know, maybe we could even take, you know, an extension cable out of it and just keep it running. I had no idea of the limits on it. I'd never even thought about it, but we had a car and we could make it a generator. That's where my brain goes. <laughs> we might need to walk that back, maybe just use the car to, to you know, charge up the phone, <laughs> not turn on the TV. That would be hilarious. Can you imagine running your car in the in the garage and you're just doing it just for sundry simple things, you know, just um, hadn't paid your electric bill, so you're powering your house by your car. That'd be an expensive choice. But every time I would sort of think about this car battery, car engine as a generator thing, she'd remind me that we can't open the garage because it needs electricity to open. <laughs> so it's like right there is a, is, is a generator. We could just turn it over and everything's solved. It's even got heat. Well, we can't turn on the car because that will kill us. We could disengage the garage chain to open it manually, but... Garage doors are really heavy, for one thing, and two, we'd need to hire and we'd need to bring in another service person to reattach it properly because the chain, because I don't want to trust myself on that. That looks right. Might fall on us and kill us, but uh, looks right. No, I'm not going to reinstall my own chain. And I also don't need another person visiting our home during the pandemic. I'm glad the gas didn't get shut off, which would have required somebody to visit our home. I'm glad that we didn't disengage the garage door and now would need to have a garage door person come by and visit us. You know, we have a piano that is out of tune right now, just on like three keys. And the first thing we want to do is, is get that fixed. <laughs> I don't know how much you like piano having it in the house, but if just three keys, you don't know how many different melodies you find one of those keys in, you know? <laughs> So we really, we would love to have somebody over to fix the fucking piano. And it's been since like April that the piano has been like that. So believe me, we, the minute we can have repair people over, we are going to get that piano taken care of. And it just would be so annoying to put in front of that a garage chain installer and a uh, gas line employee. Very good jobs. I, I respect them. But like really, if, if I'm going to hold out this long for a piano key... It's because we don't want people coming fucking over. It's that kind of simple. But we were always aware of the fact that in an emergency, yes, we have the car. It's kind of like somebody you can call from, you know, from a distance. If something really goes wrong, we can take the chain off and lift the garage door up and get the get the car generator going. But that would sort of be like um, Armageddon step three. And it's good to have restraint when you're dealing with a panic circumstance. And so just be like real measured, like what is a provable right thing to do, you know? So we did not turn the car into a generator. And that's nice. We waited it out and now we don't have to call to have somebody re reconnect the uh, garage door. I will say I'm now kind of curious about installing a wood stove somewhere in the living room or the kitchen. We don't have a lot of room. So we would have to find the square footage to sort of have the clearance for the heat. But a wood stove is sort of like a, uh, is always kind of interested me. It's a really cool looking, old time looking uh, stove, you know, similar to like a blacksmith might use or something, but you put it in your house and you can have a small working chimney right there or, or fireplace. You can use it as a stove, but most people say, I think they're rated for like 2000 square foot home can get heated by a wood stove. And uh, I've always sort of just loved the look of them and feel like they would add a nice mood to a room. 
but they're not cheap. I mean, they're like three grand to install correctly because you obviously want that to be installed correctly. But this experience has reinvigorated or reignited my wood stove ideas. A wood stove maybe on wheels would be nice. I can just roll it out when I need to. So keep maybe the the uh, the chimney, the the venting complete, and maybe find some way to sort of just disengage it and then roll it out. That would be cool. Slept the phone in my pocket, turned off, and it kept the battery warm. Your mileage may vary. Be safe with that. And regarding batteries, I do have to actually owe Alkaline Batteries an apology. They uh, many of them kept our ass alive this week. There was a box of alkalines that had uh, C's, A's in it that kept a few LED candles on. We each had one LED candle that we walked around like a, like it was a cathedral camera, you know, we, that we walked around like you know it was like a horror movie. And it was enough. Each of us had one LED candle about. Uh, whatever we call it, like the candle was uh, about three inches tall, three inches high by about an inch and a half wide and with like a little electronic wick on it and it just gave candlelight. And uh, we each had one and that kept us, that was it. That's all we needed. Two portable radios running on the double A's, some other stuff. So I just want to say thank you batteries and I'm sorry I I talked so much garbage about you a few episodes back about you being bombs, even you alkalines. You got us through some tough times this week, you alkalines. So I'm remembering you this week and apologizing. Our lithium stockpile had gone unreplenished and you were here for us, alkaline. I'm so, I really appreciate it. I was wrong to quit on you. You're still bombs if I leave you alone in like some uh, remote control or something or as I remember, my remote control R2-D2. Some D-cell batteries killed him that day. It was the worst thing. Batteries can still be bombs, but it was a good week for batteries. Thank you. And now let's get back to what we wanted to complete this last week. Uh, it's our tribute to Bruce Hack. We'll do a demo and then a side A. You're listening to Spoken Word with Electronics. And this has been a really fucking crazy week. <laughs> This has been a really crazy week. Uh, I'm happy to be here, and I'll talk to you in a bit. I'll talk to you. In, I'm happy to be here, and I'll talk to you in a moment. 